This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in everyone. Episode number 94 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Crazy. We are six episodes away from the big one zero zero, Nick. But uh, speaking of things that have been away from what they're supposed to be near, the Minnesota Wild have been absolutely decimated with injuries. <laughs> and we're going to talk, of course, about that and a lot about uh, some Minnesota Wild stuff, the Kuro Kaprizov injury, a little bit about our impressions of some rookies and things like that. We're also going to do a quick kind of uh, preview and look around the college hockey world this week. Of course, men's and women's hockey was off this weekend um, unintentionally or unexpectedly, if you will. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the broadcast side of things in the NHL now that we're a little over halfway through you know, ESPN, TNT, and even maybe some Valley Sports, what used to be Fox Sports North, and kind of give our impressions on that as well. So you won't want to miss it. And we'll start, as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Noah, of course, lots of postponement news. Unfortunately, this week is what kind of grabs the headline. So this will be a much shorter weekly roundup as not a lot of action taking place. As everybody knows, St. Cloud State was supposed to both men's and women's host uh, UMD this weekend. Both were postponed uh, due to COVID-19. From what I'm hearing, it, it did originate with the Bulldog side of things. But nonetheless, uh, conference uh, games for both men's and women's postponed. Uh, and for the men's, you know, quick reaction for that would be, you know, you come off a sweep against Bemidji, you want to keep that train rolling, won't able to do so um, and still have to look forward to next week uh, to see what they can do to keep that uh, momentum going. But uh, nonetheless, we'll have to wait one more week to see both the men's and women's in action. Meanwhile, uh, Minnesota Wild professionally, some postponements as well. Uh, Ottawa, Winnipeg and Edmonton. Uh, was postponed in last week's um, action. And a big reason for this, Noah, is that the NHL just simply says we don't want to play games in front of no fans. Uh, Canada has essentially gone into a large group lockdown yet again with the rise of COVID-19. So therefore, NHL against suspending, postponing those games until further notice just to see if um, essentially the situation in Canada can get a little bit better than it is now. 
So what's next? Uh, SCSU going back to college hockey will travel to Denver um, next week. Now, again, Denver had their weekend series against Omaha postponed, so we'll keep our eyes very close attention to if anything develops from there. Um, Also, the women's hockey team uh, will host Ohio State next weekend. Uh, Men's team 12-6 and overall on the year. The women's team 7-12-1. They're starting to find a little bit of traction, um, a little bit more as of we turn the calendar into 2022. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, that is what's on tap for both of those teams as we head into the middle of January. Now, for the Minnesota to the wild tonight what's next up will be tonight as they host the washington capitals uh the great eight coming into town uh and then after that they'll have to wait till next friday the 14th um as they will host the anaheim ducks uh followed by the trip to the avalanche there in denver which will be on the 17th now mind you um probably unintentionally no that's sort of the theme of this episode Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some good that comes out of this. Of course, many injuries continue to pile up in this Minnesota Wilds Cup. We'll probably dive into a little bit of that a little bit later on. But, uh, you know, big one, of course, Kirill Kaprizov, again, w- was checked heavily into the boards uh, against Boston on Thursday night. Uh, he did not return um, after he left in the second period. Uh, but the um, Wild were able to uh, take home a 3-2 to two very gutsy win off of the first NHL goal and game winning goal from Matt Boley. Again, their 2019 first round pick. Um, so again, we have no really uh, idea what Kaprizov is dealing with, and you know, to be expected, uh, they're keeping everything pretty close to the chest with him. Um, so we'll just uh, we'll kind of have to wait and see if what updates uh, will come out of that. Hopefully, Kaprizov can re uh, lace up for the Wild here sometime soon. Another news, though, uh, Columbus's Patrick Line, the former number two overall pick, uh, has returned after a 19-game absence from the ice, uh, while Tampa Bay also got Nikita Kucherov back um, after he missed 32 games. So a couple of big snipers uh, coming back after some injury news here around the National Hockey League. Yeah, and how good is that Pierre-Luc Dubois trade looking for the Winnipeg Jets? They're probably going to try to lock him up long-term. He's had a really good start to the season, too, and... We all, we all kind of wondered if the, if the change of scenery was going to be good for uh, both players. Well, one player for sure. The other one, Patrick Laine. I mean, Columbus isn't that good, but he also hasn't gotten to play quite a bit this year too. So I think we haven't really gotten a look at you know what he's, he's going to look like in that sweater, but he's certainly going to have to earn it in the second half. Uh, to wrap up this week's news, like you mentioned, very short weekly roundup, we have a professional tryout offer uh, in the middle of the season, uh, a little bit of a minor trade and um, a non-COVID injury. Um, technically two of them because uh, Jonas Brodin and basically the Minnesota Wild uh, continue to add to that list. But uh, in other news, let's start with the trade news, shall we? Um, staying in the Central Division, Chicago's Alex Nylander, who's the brother of William Nylander, um, was traded to Pittsburgh for forward Sam Lafferty. So if you're wondering who the heck these guys are, uh, Nylander hasn't played the NHL since the 2020 season. Uh, he tore his meniscus, missed all of last season, and has been playing with Rockford in the AHL um, pretty much the entire year. 12 points, 23 games for him. Uh, in the minor leagues. Uh, Lafferty, meanwhile, a decent little pickup, 21 points in 94 career NHL games across roughly about three seasons. So, And you know what this means, Noah, real quick? Because mm-hmm. Pittsburgh has been, I don't know if we want to call it lucky or absolute genius, but this is how they take a depth piece like Alex Nylander, somehow making break. He's going to be the story of why they win the Stanley Cup this year. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. It goes back to, of course, the Jake Gensel days, the Brian Rust days, guys that turned into producers. And not that, I mean, Jake Gensel has always been a good hockey player, but, you know, 
the other thing that helps too when you when you put him right in shotgun with Sidney Crosby, it doesn't it doesn't hurt your <laughs> hurt your game either, regardless of how old Sidney Crosby is getting. I was listening to uh, somebody mentioned the other day. They're like, "Yeah, well, Crosby, you know, he's 34. He's getting old. He's not the same player he is." And I'm like, "He's still a top six forward. Any team in the National Hockey League, like." <laughs> I yeah. take him in a heartbeat. So, and you missed uh, Teddy Bluger on that list too uh, to talk about you know some of that uh, young depth that emerged to be uh, you know kind of a leading playoff you know contributor for the Penguins in recent years as well. Yeah, isn't he a former Mankato Maverick though? So, yes, yeah, forms that, up. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We can't give Alex Micheletti the satisfaction. Come on, we can't be doing that. Um, <laughs> so, okay, we have we have plenty to take him back down to reality. It's fine. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it, Speaking of things back to reality and uh, players getting older, 34-year-olds, if you will, uh, um, uh, Tuka Rask, longtime Bruins netminder, he signed a professional tryout offer with Providence in the AHL, the Boston's AHL affiliate. Um, he's expected to play on January 14th. That's the next time that uh, the Bruins of the minor leagues are supposed to play. They were actually supposed to play today on Saturday, but that got postponed, so they're waiting a week. And he expects to only be in the net for a game or two in the AHL and then hopefully make the return up to the NHL. I tell you what, the Bruins goaltending Tandem Jeremy Swayman, Linus Olmark has done a decent job where Tuka Rask is going to have a little bit of an uphill battle. He tore his labrum in June. He was expected to miss time at least through the middle of this month. Um, that's kind of why the midseason signing is happening. He has been practicing with the Bruins Club uh, in recent months while rehabbing, though. So that is a good sign um, for him. But yeah, how interesting. awkward is that? Yeah. Um, I mean, think, I mean, for those who, you know, who watch hockey, right, and think it's just easy, oh, it's Tuka Rask and he's, you know, a great goaltender. Uh, you know, when you have for half of a season, like you mentioned, Olmark and Swayman, who I think have played very, very yeah. good, um, this presents kind of a conundrum. Um, and it kind of seems Tuka Rask, as, as you mentioned, you know, he, he expects, meaning he is expecting to get the call up and to get the net from both those gentlemen, which means one of those guys has to get either sent to the minors or put on waivers. And from what I'm hearing is that uh, it would be Swayman because he is waivers exempt. So he would be able to essentially uh, be kept within the organization without being exposed to uh, the waiver wire. Um, so I don't know. That's that's not a great situation to be in, no matter how you look at it. Uh, of course, we wish Tuka Rass the best. And, you know, we don't ever want to, you know, say you, you wish uh, bad things upon a player. Uh, but then again, you know, you have to earn your spot. And, you know, for Tuka Rask, you know, he contemplated retirement last year. Um, yeah, the injuries, he's, he's been dealing with those the last couple of seasons. So he hasn't been 100% healthy. So uh, this is a tricky situation. It's not as clean, yeah. not as clean as you may think. So we'll have to see how the Boston Bruins management handles this because this is not a, an easy way to go no matter how you slice it. Well, certainly it's going to depend, obviously, how Tukaras looks, you know, in his game for Providence, too. But the thing that's challenging, too, is out of the two goaltenders that have played, I think Jeremy Swayman at times has really been the better goaltender, too. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, speaking of injury news, though, we do have uh, one injury. Basically, it's the New Jersey Devils is what we're going to talk about here. Uh, a huge blow for them. Their prize offseason acquisition defenseman, Dougie Hamilton. He's on injured reserve after breaking his jaw. He underwent surgery, uh, I believe, on Wednesday. Um, he got hit in the face with a deflected puck a week ago against the Washington Capitals. So not a 
not a fun little ride there. Obviously, those are pretty nasty. Uh, 28 years old. He has 20 points in 30 games, leading all Devils defensemen. So he's going to be really missed in New Jersey. Of course, no timetable for his return. Those things are usually pretty messy. Uh, the Devils right now, they're without Jonathan Bernier in net for the rest of the season after he uh, underwent successful hip surgery. Uh, they're currently missing Nico Heischer, Pavel Zaka, and Igor Sharangovich. But they did get Thomas Tatar back Tuesday. So we'll have to see and keep an eye as the NHL continues. Episode 94. Welcome in, folks. Nick Maxson is joining me. Nick, I didn't know how directions worked last week. Um, it's fine. It's whatever. Um, but would be the worst thing you've done. So yeah, um, I I flipped us at least in our view on the on we're using a, a new recording uh, process, and I don't know if it didn't flip us over in the episode or not. But uh, anyway, I couldn't uh, couldn't figure out directions, or maybe maybe it was a recording thing, but it wasn't good. So I don't know what side of the the YouTube stream you're on today, but you're with us, and we're happy to have you with us. Of course, uh, it's about eleven thirteen in the morning on Saturday. We're having a much much earlier recording time than we ever had anticipated this week. This episode is supposed to come out on Tuesday. And part of the fun of that is, Nick, uh, at 12 o'clock near the kind of tail end of the show, we're going to have a live trivia winner for maybe the only time in show history just because of uh, when that goes out. So if you hear frantic typing and keyboards around uh, the end of this episode, that's why. And we'll keep you updated as to who hopefully figures out some trivia here. Um, the trivia question actually has something to do with uh, some Olympic pieces here. But before we get to that and before how that relates to St. Cloud State, Nick, you've got a free day off. Technically, just because of uh, the men's and women's kind teams, of. yeah, kind then, of ish. Are you doing you anything? Drink, and, then well. you dr- and then you drug me back into this when we normally record on Sunday mornings, and then all of a sudden my phone blows up. Hey, do you want to do a Saturday in the middle of the day? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> that's I, that's that's coming from the guy who doesn't have to edit the show after. So you you shut up over there. <laughs> you're right, but it's also the guy that you know had things not been canceled, I wouldn't be here right now. So. Okay, well, first of all, where would you be? And where will both you and I be this afternoon? Not in the same place, obviously, but technically in the same location in our respective places, if that makes sense. I'll be on the I'll be on the ice rink. Um, it's it's been a little bit too cold to go out to the outdoor rinks. Um, and uh, again, just with the schedules and everything, it's, it's hard to get into some of those uh, either the hockey finders or even some of the local rinks that have like the organized, you know, free hockey kind of stuff. It's just been very, very difficult to find uh, the schedule that works. So outdoor rinks now that they're here are, are my best option. And so after our recording here, I'll be able to go out and uh, finally uh, get, uh, get back on the ice. I've, I've been dying to do it. Um, and plus, I need to get back to working out. It's, it's not been good. So, yeah, <laughs> it's and hockey's we'll a great hockey's a great, uh, you know, workout for that. Obviously, I'm very thankful every day that, you know, I don't have a massive back injury or something like that, you know, knock knock on wood and stuff. But, um, you know, thankful to, to be able to play that. And uh, if you're ever looking for a sport, if you have three other people and you want a sport that's fun, that will keep you in shape, doubles racquetball. We used to play doubles racquetball. And if you play a best of three series, just the way the scoring works, if you're with three other people who are like semi-coordinated and can keep it as a good game. Oh yeah. You'll be there for two hours. I mean, it's awesome. Um, Even more so. Have you ever heard of volleyball? Volleyball. I haven't heard of volleyball. I was waiting for you to go to pickleball and I'm like, that's a bit slower, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, no. uh, Volleyball is volleyball in a racquetball court. And all the walls and the ceilings are in play. So it's 
it used to be. So when I was at Iowa State, this was a huge like it once they opened up because it was an intramural league that they did this on. It filled up within like 10 minutes. Now we know what they do with now they know. Now we know what they do in Iowa. But (laughs) yeah, uh, volleyball is huge out there. We used to have right uh, east of the uh, of uh, Jack Trice Stadium, the football stadium. There used to be rows and rows of on beach volleyball. So uh, fall and the spring. Uh, they would have uh, beach volleyball leagues. I love sand volleyball. It's it's one of my favorite uh, summertime hard. sports. It's hard, um, yeah. but I love it because you know I'll 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 lay out my body. I'm diving. You know I'm trying to do whatever I can to keep the ball in play. I I love that ability to just lay your body out and you know do whatever you can to keep it in play. But for volleyball, uh, yeah, I mean because you had the low ceiling, and then you had the walls. And again, same rule. So you can still hit it three times. The only thing that it's out essentially is if um, it hits the ground. So even that back wall of the glass, that's still in place. You can't go over. I think the only thing is you have to serve it without hitting the back wall or the side walls. I think that's the only slight kind of rule. But everything else, I mean, you could go, you know, bounce, bounce, bounce or whatever. It's really, really fun. So um, if folks are out there looking for something different, if somebody offers it, give that a shot. That's a lot of fun. How does that how does that work? Do the does the net like come unlinked or is the net always in there and you just like duck underneath it and so in other words, it's just like um I like little eye screws. So yeah. they just hook it up um to the wall so there's no pull so there's nothing that you can run into or whatnot, and then you sure. can just take it down. And it's just a couple of hooks and it's really easy oh. to do it. So well, yeah, that's... it's really, really easy to do it. So yeah, that's kind of smart. I mean, I used to, I go back, speaking of playing hockey, I miss the days where it was like, we could go skate in the morning and then in the afternoon we work out for an hour and then go play racquetball for two hours. And it's like between hockey and doing all that. I mean, we were working out for like six hours and then I was like, oh, why am I losing weight? Well, probably because I ate 5,000 calories and burned about 8,000. So uh, that yeah. might be why, but, and then I did it all <laughs> over again every day and every day. So I, the belly is definitely not the same, but I think we're doing all right. I get on the ice probably three to four times a week, and that's helpful. It's very helpful, you know, especially when you're playing with good hockey players. And that's a good lesson for young guys, too, is, um, you know, if you get a chance to, like, you know, if you're a peewee age player and you can go up for, like, a Bantam age session or a high school session, take that opportunity if they'll let you come out because, obviously, be respectful. But, you know, playing with good hockey players just – you know, makes you work harder and makes you refine the things to, to get better in your game as well, too. Uh, uh, someone who knows that very well, Nick, uh, what a great opportunity in St. Cloud State Hockey. This is our only St. Cloud-related college hockey news, and that's Brett Larson heading to the Olympics uh, with uh, Penguins head coach Mike Sullivan. Uh, what an exciting time for him uh, to get an opportunity like this. Uh, you've gotten a chance to kind of sit with him personally. Obviously, there's some excitement. There's a little bit of nerves based on the state of the world. I mean, what have you kind of gathered from Brett uh, in this opportunity? So when we uh, when we learned of it on Tuesday, now mind you, we weren't allowed to make the the uh, announcement yeah. public until USA Hockey did. But uh, I sat down with Brett as we were in preparation for this weekend's game again, Husky Productions. Uh, you know, Tuesdays are our basically pre-record day. We spend basically from eight thirty to nine o'clock in the morning, all the way to about two to three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, recording interviews, uh, getting stuff on tape, trying to prep for uh, the weekend's broadcast. So mind you, it would have been four games we were doing this weekend. We had both the women's games on the docket, including what was today supposed to be. It was supposed to be picked up by Bally Sports North as well. So that was going to be a nice exposure to us. But sitting down with him, he's obviously really excited. And then before uh, Hockey and Chill, which I've done the last couple of weeks because our friend Joey Erickson has been seeing family down in the Texas area where he's from. Uh, so, you know, again, good opportunity to uh, for him to go down and relax a little bit. But 
I asked him very candidly, I, you know, because you, you could see it, too, with Brett, um, that he was very excited. And I, and I just simply asked him, you know, aren't you a little bit dose? And he immediately goes, I'm, I'm very nervous um, uh, that I asked, oh, what, what's the plan? And he goes, there's a plan in place. You know, we, we could be able to get I think it's an emergency waiver essentially to bring RJ uh, Ingram, their video coach on to be away from the press box as the video coach into uh, basically on the bench. So there is a plan in place in case he is stuck in a quarantine type situation. Um, and then also too, um, you know, at the end of it, you know, we asked him, you know, would you ever envision this, you know, a few years ago? He's like, no, you know, yeah. but he's super excited to represent his country. Uh, he's certainly earned it. I think everybody in Husky nation. And of course, I think around the college hockey world can see what he's done with this program. Uh, he's elevated it, you know, I think before he came on board with Bob Mosco, you know, there was some concern as only with any transition, you know, do we stay, do we drop or does he elevate it? He's gotten this program better. Um, and so he's absolutely deserving of it. Of course, Mike Hastings uh, with Mankato also on that list. And then uh, a preliminary list, no, not to switch gears here real quick, but some of the players, again, it's a very NCAA heavy preliminary um, invite that was sent up by USA Hockey. And then not officially, but some eyes to watch. Uh, maybe Sam Henches gets the call as well. Um, not quite sure. And again, it's an invite, so he would have to accept it. Um, and, you know, as much as I would love for him to get that opportunity, it would kind of stink for the Huskies because uh, when he's in the lineup, he's sort of, uh, we talked about this last week, he, he just sort of evens the lines. He, it kind of puts everybody in the right spot, if you want to say, uh, in the top nine for forwards. But, you know, again, if you have opportunity to play in the Olympics, I, I don't know how you say no to that. Right. Uh, but again, it's, it would be up to his decision if he gets, uh, gets the call. Yeah. It'll be interesting to kind of see how that works. Like you mentioned, you know, the quarantine period for those guys, you know, is like, like four to five weeks potentially. So if you test positive, yes. Yeah. So that, and I think we have to make sure we clarify that. So at least from China, again, a big reason why the NHL pulled out was because of the quarantine period. I think it's officially 25 to 45 days, if I recall correctly. So somewhere in the midst of three to five weeks. Um, and yeah, I mean that, that doesn't sound fun. And uh, at the end of it, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, you, you just, and just as we saw this weekend, no matter how many things you can do to prep yourself, um, COVID is, is raging right now. Um, so we'll have to see, you know, for the players who are in it, how many accept and uh, just have to go from there. And it's just, uh, it's just part of the gig. So if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, then good. So, but what yeah. Can you do? And definitely, you know, the piece too, I think, and Brett knows this as well, you know, as nervous as Brett is about that too, he'd be even more nervous about it, you know, if he somehow did have something not go particularly right in that area coming back and, you know, affecting the Husky season, because they're going to start to push into that crucial point of the year too. Um, you know, in the piece too, about, you know, bringing a video coach down, I mean, you, you look down, I mean, Nick Oliver, Dave Shack, they've got it. They've got the boat under troll for sure. And 100%, the, yeah. the, Hus the Huskies will be good and uh, it should be exciting. Uh, why don't we take a quick look around the college hockey world? this past week though like we mentioned the huskies were off both men's and women's uh so uh kind of the big one here let's start on friday minnesota handily um handling michigan state uh and notre dame beating penn state that was a pretty good hockey game there by a score of that four was to a two. good one yes so to throw that one out there um let's go to the nchc action uh it was actually colorado college uh walking over miami by a score of five to one five really, one yeah really really good win for for them uh in that and that that was kind of the cc CC, not to interrupt you, Noah, but uh, CC, they're scoring more this year um, under uh, first-year head coach Chris Mayotte. Uh, they're, they're already making improvements. Now, do they have the depth of talent, you know, to maybe make an NCIC push? Not this year, 
but you can definitely tell that they're playing a much more offensive style of game. Um, they've got a couple of guys, even from Minnesota. Matt Gleason was a guy that I watched. He I was on the same ice with Jack Peart um, in the um, basically the high school all-star prospects games that I called back in November of 2019. Uh, Gleason was the MVP of that hockey game, got a chance to meet his parents. Great family, great kid. Um, and, man, that kid can uh, shoot the puck, and he can uh, stick handle on a phone booth. So uh, they got some good guys going into that program. Um, and sort of like St. Thomas, uh, give CC a year or two more under this current leadership, and they might make some noise. Uh, don't count CC out too early, and they may even make life a little bit more tough for a lot of uh, play, play, uh, teams coming on the NCAT wire towards the playoffs, too. So don't count them out just yet. Yeah. Speaking of teams uh, that we saw recently, Bemidji State walking over Lake Superior State by a score of 5-1, to one, a great, great response game for them. In fact, as I pull out the box score, I think it was Lucas Sillinger who had yep. – yeah, two goals and um, yeah, just two goals. Uh, and Owen Sillinger scored as well too. So a pretty impressive performance from that group. Uh, Minnesota State vindicating their Ooh, fair, their seven to one. Yeah, Ooh. their their fair State demons there. Um, White the, Amat with a hat trick. Yeah, the the other seven to one score was Boston University over number twenty eight Arizona State. That was kind of surprising to me. A little bit of that bounce, but ASU on the road there, so uh, maybe plays into the piece. But I think the one everyone has paid attention to, of course, we're recording this Saturday afternoon, so we've only got the Friday scores. That's up at Ralph Ingleset Arena in North Dakota. Number eight versus eighteen. Oh it was Cornell with a three goal third period for a four to three victory. I think it was three goals in the span of about five minutes. Yeah, nine twenty six to fourteen eleven. So um, just under five minutes for Cornell to take that uh, take that victory. Two power play goals in the game, one on each side. Uh, North Dakota, of course, I got to watch some of the replays against that uh, U.S. under eighteen team uh, that they lost two to nothing to as well, and. I, 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 not that, not that we want to talk about North Dakota too much, but obviously they're in the NCHC. I mean, you know, they haven't played bad. I mean, it hasn't been, you know, where they, they played poorly. It just kind of, it feels like a weird trend. It almost feels like a it's little between bit between their ears. Yeah. And it, and it almost feels like a little bit kind of how the Huskies went through that stretch where they should have beat Omaha that Saturday night. And then they went into Western Michigan and kind of just didn't have, things firing on all cylinders right there obviously they could respond tonight and win seven to one but i mean um it's interesting it's you know it goes down to what i think we look at north dakota this year uh they're talented but they're young right it's the same thing with michigan it's the same thing with minnesota where um i think minnesota is a little bit more emotionally mature as a hockey team than say north dakota is um, because we know the talent's there for North Dakota. Um, you can never count out North Dakota. I mean, after they got absolutely trounced by the Huskies, 8-2, uh, to two, they came back and won the next game. So it's been consistency for them all year long. So in hindsight, uh, if Friday they got their doors blown off, or in this case, uh, gave up a 3-1 to one lead in the third period, that means uh, Saturday, if the script continues, uh, they will uh, rebound and, and have this. And that's been the problem all season long with Brad Berry's squad is, you know, how can we, you know, how can we piece these wins together and how can we keep playing at a consistent level? Um, and to, to your point, I, I think it's, it's just a learning curve. It's a younger team. Um, and just like how I believe the Gophers, Michigan, if they retain most of their players and North Dakota next year, they will make strides because they have the talents there. Uh, but again, you have to learn how to win in college hockey at every level. These teams just haven't quite gotten that just yet. Again, a lot of that due to just the youth on their squads. 
Yeah, interesting, and we'll keep an eye on it moving forward. But why don't we switch on over here? Uh, we're about 25 minutes in the show, so why don't we switch over to some Minnesota Wild talk here, of course, their recent Ooh. victory uh, against the Boston Bruins, a 3-2 to score before that, losing in the Winter Classic. We touched on that last week. Then they're off for a week, which is probably really helpful with the injury piece as well, too. Why don't we start with the injury piece? Let's start with the big one here. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov, I. Uh, they're saying that they're going to try to get him on the ice next week, and hopefully he might be ready to go by next Friday. I, you know what? Honestly, I don't know with these things. Really, I don't. And I, and I, and I say, I, I say that honestly. I'm about to give you a hot take here, by the way. Um, so buckle up your seatbelt. But um, I, I really don't know about these things because my, my thought is this: there is a big difference between someone who has dislocated their shoulder versus someone who has like fractured a collarbone. And I think that. I think that if Kaprizov was at that point where it was serious enough, I don't know that they would play this this close to the chest. I know it's the NHL, but I think if he had broken his cardboard or something big where it was like he's going to be out long term, I think Dean Evison would be a little more flat out with it. So I think that even if he doesn't return next Friday or the following Monday on the 17th, I think he's still maybe a week and a half away. I don't think he's that far away. So that tells me that it's something that, you know, hopefully can be remedied in the, in the next two weeks. That's that's kind of where I'm going. But, uh, I mean, your thoughts on that before we get to my – my your part, Well, it's gamesmanship either way you look at it. It's your well, best player. It's it's yeah. your best player. So even if – and it's partially, I think, again, we're, we're not that far removed from the injury, less than 48 hours. So um, it could be where they're still undergoing tests. And, 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 again, when you have your best player, you're definitely not going to announce to the world that it's a shoulder or a collarbone because then all of a sudden you know how it goes in hockey. There's yeah. a target on your back. Um, but it, it, to me, it, I still think it go either way. I, I'm with you on that. I still think uh, there's a potential that maybe it isn't as serious as it – but. Here's the thing. Kaprizov's a tough kid. Um, as much as you know, he's skilled and he brings so much offensive uh, pressure to the opposing defense. Uh, where he goes after, he still he holds on his skates really, really well. He, he's not a pushover type kid. So when he went down and when he draped his right shoulder down, uh, granted, I'm not a you know a doctor by any means, but when he goes off and doesn't return. That was a little bit okay. This is yeah. this is so, not something so, small. So that so that begs the question. I mean, he's a tough kid, but you know, let's say he dislocated his shoulder or something like that. And knowing how those things work, right? You know, if you're Dean Evison, like you mentioned, we're less than 48 hours removed from the injury. The Wild play tonight, and then they're off for a week. Uh, it, is it something that maybe just might come down to that precautionary piece where they say, you know what, you're at about 80. percent We don't want you hurting yourself let's give you a week let's give you some time and see if see if you're kind of ready to go and healed up by next friday well i think so because obviously for a kid of his caliber right you right. know you want him as close to 100 percent as you possibly can right the other part of it is you don't want him to go out there i mean granted at this time of year i mean look at all of him we'll obviously discuss all the other injuries here in a second but there's a number that this team is going through right at this time of the year every team is playing through Injuries, no matter what, right? That's just kind of how this thing happens. But you try to minimize it as best you can. And what's your best player? You need him as close to 100% as possible, even more so. You don't want to put him out in a position where, whether it's a dislocated shoulder or something else, right? You don't want him to be put in a position where that can be not only re-injured per se or made worse, right? Because then you're out more long-term than that. So like I mentioned before, um, there it wouldn't surprise me if they just say, hey, you know, he, he could play. And again, I think that's more just gamesmanship on, on the lines uh, than anything. I think at some point, if they are doing x-rays or something like that, where it comes to something more long-term, 
um, you know, it'll still be very vague. They would announce it at that point. So, but I still think that they're playing it close to chess just because of the name, not necessarily the injury. Yeah. So let's kind of talk about those injuries real quick before we circle back to the Caprizov, our thoughts on that play here. I didn't know this. If, if this is true, Nick Bukestad missing approximately six weeks with a hand injury yes. slashed so hard in practice that he actually made like noise. I mean, that's, yeah. those are, that's scary. Um, Matt Zuccarello too was the was the uh, was the guy in practice. In fact, uh, according to Russo, he was essentially chasing him down the tunnel um, because I think you know. It, and that's the thing when you get to the pro level, even on your own team, it, these practices are competitive, right? These, yeah, you know, especially when a, the Wild have not played hardly at all in the last sixteen days. So right, there's a lot of pent up energy and emotion, right? Um, but you know, there especially in your own team, there's, there's sort of no nos, right? And a big no no was you know keep the stick down. You know, you don't want to be slashing you know, close to the hands. And, and I'm sure knowing Zuccarello that it wasn't intentional by any means, but, and maybe it was like one of those quirky plays where he meant to grab the stick. There was a quick turn and maybe it was just a timing type thing. But um, from what it sounds like, if you're out six weeks, that's either a fracture or that's or at least or a broken kind of wrist kind of thing. Now, again, yeah. that's nothing official from the team. Um, but if you're out that long, and you hear something, mind you, I've had my wrist broken twice on my my left wrist and once on my right. When I broke it the first time, I heard it, and it, you, you feel it. You, you know instantly something's wrong. So if he went immediately down the tunnel like it was reported, uh, that tells me something pretty uh, pretty uh, major happened to uh, to his wrist slash hand. Yeah, um, and fortunately, but unfortunately, Nick Bukestad not having the greatest of seasons. So, I mean, I guess that's not to say it should happen to anybody, but the, the Wild have, are not losing a piece that has been all that productive this season, which you you hope that he comes back and he's able to kind of jump back into a rhythm here because um, I think he's been okay in a Minnesota Wild sweater. I don't think he's been amazing, but uh, nice to he's see a, the, the Minnesota he's a depth kid. Piece. Yeah, yeah nice. he's, a, he's a depth piece. Uh, we talked about that before the uh, before the season uh, last year, the end of it, I should say, and that if you can get him on a, a cheap deal, he's a good depth piece. Um, he, he has size. That's the thing. He's a big kid um, yeah. in the playoffs. That that could mean quite a bit just for the size. Now, I don't necessarily want need him to contribute, but if you can go down on the fourth line and you know provide you know a, a good cycle and hang on to the puck in the offensive zone, that's then you're you're getting paid for what you're supposed to do. So um, yeah. I hope, hope he comes back soon and we'll, we'll just have to watch to see uh, his injury progress. Yeah. And uh, speaking of size and a little bit, maybe closer return, Jordan Greenway and Brandon Duhame still on the NHL's COVID list. Uh, Jewel Erickson X still missing from that injury on December 20th against the stars. Jared Spurgeon hasn't played since December 16th. He's hopefully inching to a return. Cam Talbot is reportedly supposed to skate starting next week. Um, and then Jonas Brodeen, we heard this one this morning too, is uh, kind of going to be shelled for at least a week, if not more. So when you say a week, if not more, um, it kind of bodes closer to maybe two weeks potentially, but you never know uh, with those things as well too. But uh, Trent Frederick, uh, what does that name mean to Minnesota Wild fans? Um, <laughs> let, let's Public talk, enemy number one. Yeah, let's talk about the <laughs> let's talk about the Kaprizov injury and. You know, I, I want to throw this out here right now. And, and I was one of the first ones to say that, you know, was it a boarding call? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I got to be honest, Nick, I, I, am in, I am in the minority camp. I am in the minority camp that says that this was not a targeting play. And when I no, say I'm with not, you with that, too. And, and when I say not a targeting play, here's what here's what I mean by that, because people want people say that because Trent Frederick is a hard nosed hockey player that he's targeting Kaprizov one kind of his job. First of all, uh, let's put yep. that out there. He's getting um, paid to do what he did. He's getting paid to hit people. Um, that's kind of his job. But I want I want to throw this out there too for for uh, for Minnesota Wild fans uh, too. I, I I actually went and I clipped the actual full speed 
clip of the game. And I wanted to see how long it took when Kaprizov turned his body and finally gave up possession of the puck. Um, so when Kaprizov turned his body, he was actually facing Frederick right when he turned the puck over. So he was actually facing directly at him. And then within that span of time, then he fell and Frederick closed in and, of course, hit him. I want to put this out there for you, Nick. That took 520 milliseconds. To put that in perspective, it takes 400 milliseconds. Uh, can, can you do something for me, Nick? Can you blink sure. for me? Just blink. I did. Yeah. You missed it. It was that quick. <laughs> exactly. It's 400 milliseconds <laughs> right. it takes to blink. And that play took 520 milliseconds to get to that point. And I want to ask Minnesota Wild questions or fans an honest question. If it wasn't Kirill Kaprizov or something like that, would this be that big of an uproar? Was it a boarding call based on the way the play ended up and Kaprizov was in a really crappy spot? Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I, I did not see it as a targeting I, play. I'm sorry, I, I didn't. No, right. And I didn't see it as a play that the initial de- uh, Department of Player Safety would get involved in. Yeah. Um, and again, you, you make the, the argument right on the head. It's about your star player. It's about, you know, what this wild team was when it was without him. You know what he brings. Uh, you know you want. And again, what Kirill Kaprizov has done to this fan base, he's made this team much watch TV. He really yeah. has. Um, and at the end of it, the fans' engagement level in terms of this team has a chance to win every night when he's in the lineup is there, right? This this yeah. team has gotten to where it has as quickly as it has because he's been in the lineup. So going back to the play breakdown, right? So it's the targeting aspect, right? So was Kaprizov always facing the boards the whole time? No, he was not. Um, what makes this play interesting, and we had this discussion too a couple of years back with a Pavelski injury, which led to the four-goal absolute demise of the Vegas Golden Knights in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup first-round playoffs, which, mind you, that was insane to watch. Right. But it was like, you know, was that a five-minute major, that kind of thing? I, I, again, it's a judgment call. It's an awkward play because yeah. he kind of loses his balance because he was being uh, checked by another Boston player at the time as well. Yeah. Um, was the puck in the... I thought I was going to say, I thought the call was perfect. That two minute board. Yeah. Totally kosher with that. And, and yeah. like, like you're saying, Nick, I don't think either of us, when I watched that, my first reaction was not, Oh my God, Trent Frederick, how could you make a play like that? My first thought was, Oh, that doesn't look good for Kaprizov. Honestly, the hit by Kevin Fiala against uh, Nicholas Roy, uh, against LA worse. Lester was worse. Was it was. Worse, and that, and there was no malicious intent in that one. No, and when, well, let's let's define malicious intent, right? That's subjective just as much as anything, right? You're, yeah. you're looking at a play and saying, "Oh, he intended to hit him like that," right? <laughs> um, I no, mind you, what's 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 define intent? Did Frederick intent to hit Kaprizov, hundred yeah, percent, right? But he's That's not what, Rafi Torres. <laughs> no, um, and you know he kind of got him honestly, kind of in the shoulder area. To me, he, it wasn't directly in the numbers. Um, and again, just the way that he was falling, the way that Kaprizov was off balance, and just the way that he went into the boards, you know, was the reason why he got injured. Um, again, it wasn't like he, he saw numbers the whole way. It was and that's the thing in hockey yeah, too. Yeah, let's. I was gonna say, can we talk about that because I think the other piece that the, the casual fan goes back to, and I don't know that what we are, but I know that we're not casual fans, and we've seen that play, unfortunately enough, unfold in various ways where numbers get turned and people get hit from behind in various ways, shapes, and sizes, whatever. Nick, I want to ask you this for the fans just because a hit looks bad, does that mean the hit was bad? No. And I think that's that's the key, right? So, in fact, I'm actually pulling the hit up as we speak right now. 
um, just because I think it's important for me to remind Martin. So he turns, and honestly, again, he kind of he doesn't get him straight in the numbers. Kaprizov does turn to do kind of a button hook, um, and he kind of gets some shoulder slash back. So a boarding call, yeah, but was it? Uh, again, was it a malicious hit where he's coming in directly perpendicular to the boards where he sees numbers the whole way and still finishes his check? No. Um, it's unfortunate. That's the thing. Um, yeah. It's possible for – we had a discussion years back with the Keith Ballard slash Matt Martin incident, right, when Keith Ballard's at the red line and he goes to dump the puck in. And it, you're taught this as a hockey player. You don't turn towards the boards. And what Keith Ballard did in this play was he saw Matt Martin coming across the ice. Uh, he dumps it. And then instead of just leaning in with his shoulder to use the boards or use the glass as sort of, you know, your, your cushion, he ends up trying to get out of the way, but he turns towards the boards and he ends up, you know, exposing his back and Martin finishes a check. Now people were pissed off about Matt Martin. I'm like, no, that's on Keith Ballard there. You know, he's the one that at the very last second turned his back yeah. to Matt Martin. And, you know, had he not done that, it's a clean check and they both probably skate away and it's probably okay. So, um, so now I'll, I'll throw this because I have it pulled up too. And of course, uh, you know, watching it in full speed and Frederick goes about probably about five feet in the span of 500 milliseconds. So that kind of tells you how fast he was going. Um, but the only thing I think I will give the fans on this and granted, like you said, it happens so fast the the puck does pop free right as frederick gets to the plate the only thing that i think i would maybe Ugh. give them is that maybe you can pick up the puck and step through but again trent frederick uh, he's committed the, to the hit yeah and the way that he plays there is a difference if you are a bottom six forward your job is to set the tone and, and kind of do those things and you're not necessarily concerned in that moment about picking up the puck, T-dragging through three guys and putting a puck on net there, you're thinking, okay, I want to separate the man from the puck, and the best way for me to do that is to finish this play. And, and I, on top I, of that, on top of that, Kaprizov is known to be a guy that's hard to get out the puck, right? And yeah. if you, and again, the timing, when the puck pops out to when he hits him, it's not that much time. I mean, again, the call was boarding. It wasn't interference, which to right. me would tell that the referee saw that it was a late hit or a hit that was like a player that wasn't deemed to be um, eligible to be, to be checked, right? And that's key because if it's an interference call, then it's like, okay, now we're talking about maybe player safety getting involved because this is a player that's uneligible or I should say ineligible to be checked, right? So right. they felt he was fine to be checked, but the way he hit him was not great. Um, yeah. And again, fast-moving play, things are turning, things are happening. Again, it wasn't directly from the back. It's an unfortunate hit, but to me, again, I think and it's oh, the right call not to have supplemental discipline in this, this situation. That's what, it, that's what it comes down to, right? It was just an awkward turn of events. I mean, I, like I said, I I had a teammate my senior year of high school who he broke his back, and I honestly, we hit him harder in practice than the way he got hit when he broke his back, but it was just an awkward entry the way that he lost his balance when he got bumped and stuff. I mean, it was literally, I, I could stand there and push you harder with one arm than the way he got hit, but it was just where his body was at that particular moment. And you know what? If that hit happens and they call it a boarding call and Kaprizov gets up and plays the rest of the hockey game, are we having this discussion again too? I, I really I really want to go I really think it's important to go back to that and say if this isn't Kaprizov and if he doesn't exit the game, are we talking about this? Those I still are the, think we are to a degree but not to as much yeah. up as we are. Yeah, those and those are the lines that go into hockey plays like this. But whatever, I know that probably 98% of the people that are listening to this, if they haven't shut it off already, are freaking out about it too. And that's whatever. You're entitled to have your opinion, but that's um, 
from from our perspective, I, I guess that's kind of our thoughts too. We're at just over 40 minutes on the show. I do want to touch on one more piece. The Minnesota Wild obviously going to have to respond with the injury decimations. I thought Connor Dewar has looked good and made some really nice plays too. Brandon Duhane coming back will be really nice as we move forward. But uh, a couple guys, Marco Rossi, Matt Boldy, their first NHL game, Matt Boldy getting a goal from Marcus Foligno on an assist there. Good little give and go. That was pretty. Yeah, and they were actually in a line with Foligno through most of the night and actually got a lot of special teams looks and some looks late in that game and a one-goal hockey game as well, too, with the injury, of course, to Kaprizov only carrying 10 forwards now in that game as well. Uh, Nick, uh, let's start Marco Rossi. Uh, what did you think of his first performance against Boston? Well, he played all right. You know, and again, the, the comparison between Boldy and Rossi is a little unfair because uh, yeah. you're talking about a center versus a wing, and there's different responsibilities for both of them. Um, and therefore, also, that means, it, depending on the system, obviously, you may be limited in how much offense you want to be involved in. And, of course, as young players for a coach, you, you're telling them, you know, don't you're not here to, to be savior, right? You're here to just play your game, just keep it simple, and to get yourself. I will say this, though. Marco Rossi, I thought he played all right. Yeah, um, I did, too. Um, face off dots, uh, obviously against some really good talent. Um, he did all right. I don't remember his numbers, but, uh, it, it wasn't fantastic, but again, it's, it's, you know, it's trial by fire. And again, I thought he handled it all right, but Holy cow, Matt Boley. And I think ESPN, I know we're going to talk about broadcasting here in a little bit, but I think they said the word perfect. He looked very comfortable out there. Um, even on the special teams, he was making really good, smart plays, which is important. It looked like he was like, eh. You know, this is no different than being an Iowa. And that is the type of mentality you want to see out of a young player. That's an emotionally mature uh, player who is there, who's not looking at it as a jump from one to the other. It's like, hey, I'm just going to play my game. And, you know, just if the bounces come, they come. And he ends up getting his first goal in front of his family and the barn that he grew up less than a few miles away from and gets the game winning goal, too. So um, I thought Matt Boldy looked great. Um, Rossi looked okay. So, but nonetheless, I mean, they didn't, both didn't look bad. And for the Minnesota Wild, when you got two rookies coming and granted they're high level picks, uh, but still, you, you know, this is the ultimate litmus test, you know, is how do they, you know, transpire into the NHL and so far, not bad. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I think Marco Rossi, you know, you can tell he's, I don't want to say he's undersized, but you know, he's playing with the big boys now. And I think that was the one piece that people kind of wanted to key in on. He was still in those dirty areas though. I mean, he was able to engage. I think once he figures out, there's two ways that little guys survive in the NHL. And that's either by figuring out how to get stronger and be able to kind of fend off players or being able to use and anticipate and be able to sl slow the game down and control it and use their skills to their advantage, right? We see those kind of things. I think Marco Rossi fits in that second category where he is going to get a bit, a bit stronger, but I think he's going to rely on his hockey IQ a little bit, similar to how he did in juniors. And then once he's able to slow the game down in his head, he'll take control of the hockey game. So it's going to just take some time for him. And I, but it, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he jumps in. You mentioned face-off percentage, 33% uh, on the face-off dot. Not great, but small sample size. Uh, two shots on goal for him, four shots on goal for Matt Boldy. So six shots combined between the two rookies, a goal for Matt Boldy, obviously. Um, so those are things that are uh, important to kind of you know, key in on. Let's let's take a look uh, to Matt Boldy, 6'2", 201 pounds, 20 years old for him. Uh, and Marco Rossi, 5'9", 182, and they're both 20 years of age. So uh, a little bit of a different uh, style of play and what we're going to see. And I think that's good for the Minnesota Wild to have guys that do um, either of those things. I mean, a similar player for Marco Rossi comparison, although he plays wing, maybe Matt Zuccarello in the shiftiness aspect and that sort of thing. That might be a good comparison for Wild fans to kind of think on. He's a little bit more of a playmaker than a goal scorer 
think Marco Rossi, if we're being honest with ourselves, but yeah, I thought they both looked impressive. Matt Boldy's give and go, um, you know, calm, cool, cool, calm, cool and composed. And I don't know that they both look particularly great in the first 10 to 15 minutes that hockey, but I don't think the Minnesota wild looked great to start that game. And I think they started to heat up and warm up. So it'd be interesting to see, of course, we're recording this Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning. So it'll be important to see how they're going to respond uh, in the lineup uh, against Washington. And, you know, back to your, your small player thing. I mean, that was kind of how I, you know, you know, kind of, you know, approached the game too was, you know, I, I didn't mind being the guy that got in there and got tossed around. And the fact in front of them that, you know, um, you know, I was the guy that loved to be in front tip pucks and to just be a body there. And, uh, you know, there, there's some chirping that happens there. I'll leave those conversations uh, on the ice, but um, you know, <laughs> the, my favorite player to watch as uh, growing up was actually Daniel Briere. Um, for a guy of his size, yeah. because you talk about a guy that could buy his own time and buy his own space. Uh, granted, you know, I liked him more than he was his Buffalo. Uh, anybody that's dresses up in a Philly uniform, I, I tend to, you know, just, <laughs> eh, what are you doing? Uh, but seriously, though, he uh, he had a great shot. Again, very high hockey IQ. I think he's a GM in the OHL somewhere, too. He's, um, he's actually in the running. He interviewed... Uh, along with, I, I forget who else it was, uh, for the Canadians uh, general did, manager yes. job. So um, he's, I don't he's know, a smart I guy. I don't know why I can't think of who the other one is. It's a very well-known name, so let me look that up. But, yes, uh, small guys, you guys aren't bad. I got to be honest, as someone who's six foot four, the, the worst thing ever is when a little guy comes in with speed and he gets underneath you and, like, the shoulders are down near where your knees are, and you're like, how the hell am I supposed to – I can't – what am I supposed to do here? I can't hit you. I can't cross-check you. You're just – you're down there and I'm up here and I can't do anything about that. Like, that's just not. <laughs> yeah. And, and Breer wasn't the, you know, he wasn't the lean in type player, but he was the guy that he, he could make himself disappear then reappear. Right. Uh, he was the guy that um, was always sort of uh, finding those soft areas. And more so when he did, he was ready for a one-timer man. His shot was absolutely insane. He was a power play specialist too with Philadelphia and for Buffalo when he was with both those clubs respectively. Um, and absolutely dangerous uh, in the shootout too. He had some pretty good mitts. Uh, They're going in one-on-one with the goaltender. So, yeah. um, you know, as you mentioned, Matt Zuccarello, I mean, even Danny Briere, if you watch some tape on how Briere uh, looked on granted, the NHL is a little bit different the way that he was playing, but um, I think it could still some learn some things talking about Marco Rossi again from some of those NHL vets. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the other uh, GM candidate that was in the mix is Roberto Luongo. Um, That's right. Yes. For the GM mix for uh, the Canadians. So it'll be interesting to see where they go on that one. Nick, is there anything else you wanted to add about college hockey, the Minnesota wild, anything else before we yes. down over? Yeah. Okay. There right. Is. What so there's a lot of cause of concern right now in the college hockey world. You know, there's se- the season series are getting postponed and, you know, looking at the schedule again, the, the, the question is, you know, talking specifically Huskies Bulldogs on the men's side, there's not a, you know, a sort of a, a same weekend off. So um, I did reach out to the NCHC. Uh, I did get an initial reply from Josh Fedden and also what uh, Michael Westman is the associate um, commissioner of the NCHC. I haven't received uh, some answers to questions as of yet, but from what I hear around the ranks is that there is some schedule adjustments coming um, and that, you know, one of those schedule adjustments may mean pushing uh, the NCHC uh, frozen face of back a week. Um, we don't know for sure, but, um, and, and I did ask the question, you know, is there a cause of concern for this to, to escalate? Um, so there's some things uh, that I did press them on, you know, because essentially, as you and I both know, Noah, they did not really, you know, sort of, you know, schedule in 
you know, like last year where there was some weekends that had some flexibility to reschedule or move things around. They didn't do that this year. So um, and they're going to have to get creative with some scheduling. Again, some of the things I'm hearing, maybe middle of the week type stuff or possibly double headers to make some things up if they play teams again. Again, we haven't heard anything official. I'm still waiting on that. So once I do hear back from the NCC, I'll be sure to let fans know um, what they are looking at as far as trying to make up some of these games and uh, maybe potential uh, procedural-wise what they plan to do to try to you know lessen the impact on the regular season as we head to the second half. Yeah, the thing that I'm kind of looking at, too, and I don't know that it's the greatest thing. I mean, March 4th and 5th, the Huskies play Duluth, and then that Friday, March 11th, that's when the quarterfinals, the best of three series starts, and then the week after, March 18th, is when the frozen faceoff is, and then the 25th is the regional. So they don't actually have a week to play in, and that makes me wonder, do we see something similar like last year where you actually don't have your best of three series and you go back to the format that they had last year? I think that's the only weekend that you can pull is probably you know, the, best yeah. of, the best of three weekends. So that's something we'll keep our eye on as well. As we mentioned, the Huskies, of course, uh, trying to find that extra matchup against Minnesota Duluth. They've got Denver on the docket followed by Miami of Ohio, North Dakota to finish out the month of January, Western Michigan, Nebraska, Omaha, Colorado College, and Minnesota Duluth to finish out the regular season. So they'll have to lose twice um, in somewhere in there. So they'll see a lot of the Bulldogs at the tail end of the regular season. But that will do it for the main part of the show. And we're going to head on to our extra ice session. We're going to have, of course, a live trivia winner. And we're also going to talk a little bit about some broadcasting news. Welcome into the Extra Ice Session, episode 94. Nick Maxson, somewhere on your screen. I'm also on your screen. I'm Noah Grant. We're happy to have you here uh, on this Saturday morning. Boy, it's been a while since we've said something like that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we're going to have a live trivia winner in about seven to eight minutes or so. That's kind of when the question comes out. It's 11.53 here, so uh, we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, but un until we hit that, hit that point, Nick, um, you know... I, I kind of wanted to get your impression. Uh, I know a lot of fans were talking about the broadcast uh, on Thursday when the Wild went up and they played Boston in Boston uh, and the ESPN broadcast. And, uh, you know, I, I always think it's interesting. I, I, I know that there's a lot of not so great broadcasts and broadcasters out there. Some of those things relate to the personnel. Some of those things relate to the technical opportunities that, are provided to the group. I mean, if you're a one man or a two man crew, those things make a big difference, right? Um, Huge. I, I I gotta I gotta ask. You know, when fans talk about, because it seems like nobody can get a consensus on who they like in terms of broadcast. I mean, is is there really a are there broadcasting crews that like? are perfect or go-to examples, you know, in the NHL in your mind. I think just historically there might be, but it seems like people just cannot pin down what they like or don't like about certain broadcasts. And I got to be honest, Nick, from our point of view, and especially your point of view, I don't know that people understand how difficult it is to put all those pieces together, especially in a TV broadcast. I, I mean, I kind of want to open up that discussion, but... I think it more goes to the personalities. And again, it's, it's subjective, right? Yeah. You know, so there's going to be people um, that love me. There's going to be people that hate me. Um, there's people that do both hashtag Caleb Peabody. So, uh, and also Noah Grant. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, I think at the end of the day, you know, the NHL speak, you know, let's start there. Right. So ESPN, there's no question the NHL needed to get back to ESPN. There is absolutely no question. If you want this league to continue to grow, get the necessary revenue that they need to get out of this um, basically flat cap, 
they needed to have a cash injection. They also need more fans to get involved, right? So, and part of that, and part of the strategy with ESPN is, do they have the so-called traditional hockey uh, commentators? No. What they essentially are doing is bridging the gap between what maybe the football, the basketball, maybe even the baseball fans would see, and now those people are calling hockey games. Um, now, you and I both know this, Noah, probably better than most, but when you call a football game, a baseball game, or a basketball game, there's some downtime to those. Hockey yeah. is incredibly fast. It moves very fast. And unless you've played the game or at least you've broadcasted enough times where you kind of know what to anticipate, it's not an easy game to call. Mm-hmm. Um, what's funny is on my end of it, it's actually harder for me to call baseball than it is for hockey just because again i know the sport um very well for hockey i can anticipate it i'm expecting constant action whereas with baseball i think dick bramer a former single state alum just is so smooth on this he has story after story after stats he all the downtime he utilizes so much to me that's almost harder yeah but i can also understand if you're not used to the speed and not used to how quickly things can develop and change especially in transition hockey right um, it, it can kind of throw you off guard. So it's, 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 it's growing pains, right? And to me, it's growing pains. Now on the technical side of it, ESPN, if they commit the money to it, God, yeah, um, they, they can definitely up the ante to it. I still think they're trying to figure out exactly what, you know, cause the, these, these broadcast crews, even the technical crews, they're going back to this arena for the first time over 20 years. Um, yeah. and sometimes the brand new arenas that they haven't broadcast it. Mm-hmm. Right. So at the end, this is kind of a feeling out year for them. I think that there's going to be a massive improvement for them uh, next year as we had, uh, especially to the uh, ESPN uh, side of things. Uh, Bally Sports, it's Fox 2.0. You know, it, they do a good job. I'm not saying it's a bad, but do they have they changed much? No, but at the at their end of it, they didn't really have to, right? They didn't yeah. really have to. The, so. the only update that I would say that Bally Sports maybe needs a little bit better. Uh, better mobile app support. I think if you're trying to watch on their mobile stuff and, and part of that, they always have an ad every time. And sometimes like I have to refresh the the page because the app is not streaming correctly. And that's, that's a very first world thing. And I get that. But like, for me, I don't have a TV package. I don't have a cable subscriber. So that's how I'm able to watch the games is actually through my parents' cable package. And that's, you know, those are, those are important things, you know, to try to make sure that those are working correctly. Because for me, that's the difference between me watching the game and not watching the game. So right. And to- to your point, you know, and this is the, again, the, those streaming platforms, those cost a lot of money to maintain, yeah. to update. When you even think of, you know, the advertisements right now, without those ads, that streaming service is a hell of a lot worse. And you're probably broadcasting in 480i. So, at the, you know, <laughs> it's 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 a catch 22. Um, again, I'm, I'm not worried about it. Um, you know, I, I think, again, for the most of the casual fans, or I should say, let me let me take that back and start again. For the fans who have followed the NHL rise to NBC and to NBCSN and have gotten to know some of those personalities, which call very good games, right? Um, but at least in the U.S. I know Canada has had a very consistent voice out there with uh, TSN as well as uh, um, a Hockey Night Canada on CBC. Again, we're talking Chris Gothbert. We're talking Gord Miller. Um, the departure of Jim Houston from CBC is their main guy this year was a little yeah. surprising. Um, but sort of saw it coming when they brought over Chris Cuthbert. He started with CBC went over to TSN, they brought him back. So there was a little bit of a, you could call a handing of the baton over from that, but they always do a fantastic job up there uh, north of the border of the U.S. But uh, again, you know, 
that transition, there's always personality. Again, I think it's more of a subjective thing. I still think they do a, a decent job of broadcasting the games. Um, and again, they're still figuring out. Um, ESP will, and, and granted, when they do figure it out, they can put on a hell of a show. So again, yeah. uh, I, you don't want to say be patient, but you, you kind of have to. I mean, this is how these things work, and um, you'll see a massive improvement next year. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, and their intro, I got to be honest, their intro is so so iconic. Every time it comes on, yeah. I get I get chills. I really do. And and you know, it kind of brings me back to when I was a kid too, you know, and watching the ESPN broadcast. I mean, I, I just I I think it's an exciting thing uh that we have to look forward to. Nick, we're going to dive into a little bit about kind of broadcasting and that piece as well too, but I do want to throw it over our trivia question. Just went live. It is actually just noon, so I kind of want to see if you know it before somebody answers here. Um, the question does read, of course, as always, first correct answer wins. We'll have to see if someone can get it quickly. Brett Larson, set to represent Team USA at the Winter Olympics. With consideration to both St. Cloud State men's hockey and St. Cloud State women's hockey, there were now three former Huskies that played in the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea. Who were they? Nick, can you name one of them? <laughs> You're like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i'll Ooh, tell you this tough. one of them is third in st cloud state men's hockey scoring with 700 178 career points he's first in career assists with 113 one of them for is team, a win for team usa women's okay. yeah two of them are team usa one of them is team switzerland that might help you out too Okay, one's no, what no, because Kasala he's Swedish or Finnish, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh Jesus, I should know this. this is so bad. Um, for the this, for the women's side, wasn't uh, Alder over there? No, not yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Janine Alder. Yep, okay, you got the women's answer correct. Yeah. And then for the men's, oh Jesus. <laughs> This, this this is bad this this one this one is challenging i, I think it's going to be two guys that you might not particularly expect um probably not um <laughs> i'm trying to remember because that would have been that team <laughs> i know yeah, this this is i would not it's get not, this up. it's not ryan lash is it it's not Ryan Lashley. I would not get this off the top of my head. I really wouldn't. Um, the one that I'm um, that I referenced to is Garrett Rowe. Garrett uh, Rowe. Oh, yeah, Jesus. That one's an interesting one because he hasn't played since the late aughts, essentially, you know, yeah. 2007 to 11. So that one's that one's a challenge. Uh, the other one's uh, more recent defenseman. Let's see if you can get this one. Wasn't a Sean, was it? No. Can you but, tell me the year? Buffalo, Buffalo? Sabres draft pick. Oh, was it? Oh, was it? Uh, what's his face? It was Will Borgen. Yeah, Will Borgen yeah, is the other I one. remember that now. Yeah, now that you said that, that rings a bell. Yeah, I really love the the photo of Garrett Rowe, though, because Garrett Rowe is a little bit older. So we'll have to see if someone can figure it out. It's kind of interesting when we go through the trivia questions, too. Um, I'm going to say that uh, um, it's going to take uh, whoever, whoever wins the trivia thing, it's going to take them a handful of seconds to figure this one out and be able to type all three of them. But uh, I thought it was very fitting. I mean, how often um, the other question that I thought about, but would be too easy. I would imagine Nick, who is the last, uh, um, who is the last coach to lead an international U S team? That's for, let's go. And what team was that? That was the world juniors in 19 or 18, no, 17, eight, 17, 17 yeah. right. Who scored, who scored the game winner for the U S to win a gold medal in that game. Do you remember? Wasn't that Troy Terry? It is Troy Terry. Yes. Troy Terry had yep. four, went four for four in the shootout. Scorey Terry. 
Yeah, in the uh, in in the the shootouts in the semifinal against Russia, uh, he had three, and then he had the game winner against. Winner. Uh, He's um, slick, man. He is it, slick. You know what's interesting is I was actually on a road trip. I was actually in Greeley, Colorado, so we were actually playing in Colorado um, that weekend, and Troy Terry scored to win that when we were on the road on Thursday. We played Friday, Saturday, and then Saturday night the pioneers were actually playing their second game of the weekend against asu and troy terry actually was in the lineup that night he came back he scored two goals and a five to three win i actually think he scored and he got hurt so he he scored the game winner for the u.s in i think it was in toronto flew back the next day watched the game you know or got back you know when the guys are playing on friday jumped in the lineup scored two goals and got hurt on saturday and then missed like two weeks <laughs> <laughs> and now he's he had, a, he had a busy week right so <laughs> yeah you know he he's actually had a uh he's cooled off a little bit but had a really great start for um for the uh anaheim ducks An anaheim ducks he was a point per game player it was like what a 16 game point streak for him so yeah. pretty pretty impressive for him to uh kind of jump in so we're still waiting on our winner here i don't see i don't see that we have a winner just quite yet and some of those things it's interesting to see how long it takes people to figure that out we've had some stumpers that i definitely didn't anticipate them being difficult and i've had some where i'm like yeah this will take someone forever and they're like oh that's easy it's this person this person this person <laughs> i'm like oh okay but um i enjoy when people my goal is to put it where you have to think about it a little bit but it shouldn't take you more than five minutes to find on the internet that's my that's my goal um for most of the trivia questions to see if uh you know bridge the gap between you have to do a little bit of legwork if you're not quite sure but it shouldn't take you you know forever to be able to figure that out if you know where to look per se so um right. we're still waiting on a winner i'll definitely notify you when we get one how awkward would that be if we do if we don't get a winner <laughs> by the end of the show um well, you know, as they say, some things happen. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of, you know, hockey topics, I wanted to bring up one to you uh, sure. a little bit, just because I think we'll have a little bit of time to burn here. Uh, we talked about USA hockey, you know, we, we talked about, um, you know, Brett Larson getting his gig. Um, I guess, you know, from a hockey standpoint, let's, mm -hmm. let's go with this. Um, do the Olympics have the same draw um, to you personally? with more college level talent going over versus NHL, or is this maybe not, or does it seem like it's a little bit less than that? Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the challenge is unfortunately because of the way that the world has kind of gone, I think the, the, the mental game that everyone has in their head is 2010 Vancouver. Right. And I think that yeah. precedent was set so much the golden goal for Canada, one of the best international games of all time, let alone, you know, a matchup between two of the biggest powerhouses that in hockey at that particular moment, um, you know, you have that. And then of course the 2016 world cup of hockey team, North America was an interesting draw and that was uh, good too. That was fun. I, I think, I think honestly, the appeal I think is really shifting. Uh, I don't know if it's shifting, but I think it's more focused on the world juniors. I think the world juniors, especially when it comes back, is going to be the marquee piece here because uh, as we kind of as we kind of throw that um, you, you know piece in there, it's been consistent, you know, albeit besides this year, but it's also you know kind of your age group it's not is it going to be an nhl group is it not going to be is it going to be college hockey players is it going to be guys from europe no it's going to be the best american and canadian and whoever players 
that can are available and healthy to play in that tournament. They're going to represent their country. And it's cool because it's a stepping stone where you can go back and you can watch, right? The 2010 uh, gold medal game, John Carlson game winner in that wild fiasco uh, against Canada. You go back and you look at all the NHL names littered in both of those lineups and you get to see what they were at 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. That's exciting to me. And I think that it's always around Christmas time. It's always around the holidays. It's kind of your post, your post Christmas reward or enjoyment before you get back into the new year as you enter the new year i think the world juniors is starting to become the new primo international tournament now if the nhl returns to the olympics does that change but i think we have to have a normal olympics again for i think that to really start to become part of the conversation i think the world juniors the usa winning two to nothing against canada a great great one matt boldy was part of that team too i think the world juniors is starting to become the new primo aspect in the game of hockey right now on international play the other part of that is the Olympics are once every four years. World Juniors are every single year. Right. Um, and again, you know, for, for those who have never watched World Juniors, it is the most high tempo. It is a very physical. It's a like you said, the, it's the best young talent under the age of 20 um, that's out there for most of these squads. Um, and again, it's kind of like that college hockey atmosphere where a team could be up four to one and lose the hockey game. Um, you know, it, there's so many backs and forth. There's surprises, there's upsets. Um, you know, there's uh, a couple of years ago, I forget uh, whose storm was it Switzerland that had a, a big upset, I think over, uh, over Canada, in the prelim, it was like, Whoa, what happened here? Um, so there's just, there's nothing that's predictable about the world juniors. Um, to me, my favorite part is, I mean, the, the four bit, the, I should say the five big guns, us, Canada, Finland, Sweden, and of course, Russia. Although Russia as of late has kind of slid down the pipe, I think. I think they'd be number yeah. five. Um, and a lot of that is just because, I mean, the, the Russian team is built on offense and offense exclusively. They've never been known to be a great defensive, you know, sort of uh, development program. Um, so when they have the top end scores, they can do damage. When they don't, they're not as effective as they are in that tournament. Um, Again, Sweden and Finland, you talk about how they play 200-foot games. Games. Um, they're so tough to beat. Um, but similarly, you know, even though they play good defensively, offense sometimes, if it isn't there, uh, not great. US, uh, the US has kind of kind of established itself as probably a one-two. And I would even think Noah too, that between um, a U.S. hockey fan and the Canada hockey man, anytime that the U.S. and Canada meet, and it, it's almost like, okay, when is this going to meet in the semifinal? Is this going to be the gold medal matchup? What's the prelim game going to look like? Because there's bragging rights on the line. That's such a fun game to watch. I mean, I would challenge any hockey fan that's never watched World Juniors to watch it and watch not just the U.S. and Canada, but those other teams you mentioned, Slovakia, um, Czechia, as they as they kind of rename themselves a little bit. Um, these are great, great uh, hockey games to watch. They're a lot of fun. They're very up-tempo. Um, and I think any hockey fan would be doing themselves a disservice um, by not watching these. Um, Steve Mears, who now does full-time for the Penguins, that was sort of his game. He did a fantastic yeah. job with that. Uh, Dave Starman, friend of us, uh, also Ooh. was the analyst. Yeah, right? Uh, good old <laughs> Dave from New York. Um, does a fantastic job on the analysis of that tournament as well. Um, so, again, it's a lot of fun, as you mentioned, it's during the holidays every year. Um, and it's it's just, I don't know, it's the best tournament. I, it's, it's the one tournament I look forward to every year is the World Juniors because, again, there's so much excitement, so much drama that can happen. So, Nick, I appreciate your monologuing. We had a trivia winner, and uh, I think you'll enjoy this. Uh, Aaron Stanga was our winner. 
uh, getting yes. getting the victory. So good for him. He might potentially be the only live trivia winner in show history. So, uh, well, right now he is currently. Uh, so congratulations, Aaron Stanga, like we mentioned, Garrett Rowe and uh, Will Borgard for Team USA on the men's side and Janine Alder on the women's side for Team Switzerland were the correct answers to the trivia question. So, Nick, let's finish our discussion that we had gone. I really like the international question, so it's a good time to talk about international hockey with everything that has been going on. But as we talk about the broadcast piece, you know, ESPN, I think TNT has done a great job pitting Paul Bissonette up with Wayne Gretzky uh, studio-wise. Having a good studio analyst, a.k.a. the puck scribe, uh, for uh, Husky Productions, it, that's an important piece. It really is. It, it helps have two people. So, Nick, sorry on that one. But it, it does help to have a round table of cast that, that they can bounce off of each other. I honestly thought even when NBC was there, you know, I thought Anson Carter, I thought Patrick Sharp did a great job sometimes. Patrick Sharpie Sharp was really good. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, not to be weird about it, but Patrick Sharp, devilishly good looking human being, by the way. So that helps the ratings too. But, um, you know, I, I think it's important. I think Liam McHugh always did a really good job with those pieces too. And the way that he intro but there's so many pieces that go into this. And I want to talk about, you know, the, the game on Thursday against Boston, I know people were talking, some some people were talking about the fact that the, the, the color analysts, one of them was female. I mean, Brian Boucher was part of that too. I'm like, some of the things that people are pointing out, I think that we get pampered a little bit by some great broadcasts that we do have, even at the ESPN level, at the TNT level, at the Bally Sports level, because then when you go and you see other broadcasts, you realize how professional and how how good a lot of these broadcasters do a lot of the little things right. And they do a lot of the little things, right. They're almost like goaltenders because all the things they do right go unnoticed because they're so fluid in them. You don't notice them. And I, and I, th- I think that stems to Thursday's broadcast too, you know, and like you said, they're working out some of the production hinks and that sort of thing. But I, they did the rush sounds of the game. Uh, the commentator did where you got to listen into the game only for two minutes. I thought that was really cool. I thought that, um, you know, as a broadcaster, and I can attest to this because I have a whiny, nasally voice all the time, you can't change your voice. You can't change how some right. of those aspects are. And some people have based different deliveries based on the way their voice is. I thought the broadcast on Thursday was totally fine. I really, like, I I, I didn't listen to the game and I didn't go, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. But I didn't listen to the game and go, oh my gosh, this is so bad. I thought it was very fine for the NHL level. I think Brian Boucher does a fantastic job in the role that he's done too. Nick, I mean, like if you can take people kind of with broadcasters, I mean, what makes a good broadcast? I Like you said, it's subjective, but I mean, what are, what are some of the things that people, you know, a, a, as you've gotten to listen as a fan and now you've gotten to do it as a broadcaster, when you watch a game and you say that was a good broadcast, what are some things that you kind of pick out that you think are like, you know, things that make a broadcast successful or enjoyable to listen to on your, on your perspective. Sure. So a a little bit of history with me, right? So, you know, when I'm in the car and I'm driving from the cities up to St. Cloud, mind you that, you know, on a, on a good day, that's about an hour drive. Um, that's on a good day without any sort of snow and traffic and whatnot. Um, I literally will pop on to broadcast of Gary Thorne, or I'll pop on broadcast again, um, Chris Cuthbert, um, I'll do Gordon Miller, who I think actually is a guy that mm-hmm. I, I really try to emulate. And one thing that I've noticed, and it's sort of like you're trying to be the fan voice on the broadcast. I think what's so important is you have to be able to read the emotional ebbs and flows of the game. Um, 
you know, and I think that's what makes, you know, the hash, you know, hashtag awesome guy, Ben, Ben Holden. So good at what he does. Yeah. You know, it's about, you know, great, no, great call yesterday, by the way. And very, very game. good call. Um, they're over with the Gophers and, and the Spartans, but um, you, you have to be able to read what's exciting and be able to, 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 to make that exciting. And also to know that, okay, this was a chance. It wasn't that great. And so you're calling it, but you're also, you're, you're relaying the excitement from a fan's perspective. That's really what it is. I think that's the, the subtlety piece that often, as you mentioned, goes unnoticed. It's um, and it makes you. So if I make as a broadcaster, a, a shot from the point uh, that goes 20 miles an hour and sound like, you know, it was like this Mario Lemieux deacon out of somebody's jock type <laughs> exciting. It yeah. doesn't match. Right. So it's, it, it's about reading. The, and I think obviously in hockey, because it happens so fast, I think having knowledge or having played the game um, helps too, because as you and I both know, whether it's an odd man rush or this and that, you know, you can build tension in your voice like that, you know, where yeah. it's like, you, you understand this is um, this is an opportunity that may actually produce something. Um, and then, or, you know, as a hockey player, when you're, I think it's happened to both of us here, Noah, where you're standing on the weak side of the net, a puck just happens to come for you. We have a six by four open net. And for whatever reason, either you throw it over the net or through the crease and you're just like, you know, you, it, you look How up to you the sky, yeah. How do you miss that. And again, it's, it's, it's been able to challenge that, you know, emotion from not only as a fan, but also maybe from a player at times. Um, so the fans, cause you know that they're probably feeling the same thing. Again, hockey is such a niche sport. A lot of folks have played it. A lot of folks and I think that's the big thing. Hockey is such a knowledgeable fan base that they expect so much mm-hmm. out of their broadcast crew. Um, and as, and I think you said it perfectly, you know, when you, we've been, we've been so spoiled with some of the really great, you know, people who've won multiple Emmys, such as Mike Emmerich, you know, to name a few, uh, John Forslund, who is now with Seattle, who does a fantastic job. Let's remember Dave Strader back when he was still with us. Mm-hmm. Fantastic voice. Um, it, it's hard to, to name them all, but at the end of the day, um, it's, it, it does make you appreciate what you have. Um, again, Rick Packham of Tampa, who's, who's given me uh, very personally now in the broadcast hall of fame, he's given me specific pointers on stuff that I've sent him a uh, fantastic human being. And uh, you know, and, we're actually and, hoping to reconnect soon. And even guys that go back to go back to the college world. I mean, how good you ever get a chance to listen to the radio, Jim Erickson, the fantastic yeah. job that he does. There's some fantastic radio announcers too. And I love listening to games on the radio. And like you mentioned, you know, th- that anticipatory piece, right. Knowing that when, you know, a, a turnover is created and it's a two on one and knowing that, that, you know, think about, I, I think back to uh, the goal that Patrick Kane scored all those years ago, that give and go against Jonathan quick, where he, puts an absolute laser up in the playoffs and does the heartbreaker at center ice. I mean, if you call that very flatly, I mean, it doesn't have the same emotion, but you can see it in the building where the turnover is created and everybody in the building starts to stand up and you match that energy. So you're definitely right about anticipating and knowing what plays are incredible and also recognizing, you know, some of my favorite ones are recognizing a play where a guy comes in and he shoots and like, for example, at the null level, when I do work for the Taros, the press box is so low that if you get the right shooting angle, you can see where a shooter has the mentality where he's trying to go, you know, far side glove and he just misses it. And it was like, oh, he had some room there. And being able to see those things too and be like, oh, like that was actually a pretty good little opportunity. Um, and picking up those little pieces too. I also think for broadcasters, obviously at the national level, but moving into college level, moving into student level work, one of the things that's important too is uh, having a good technical side of things, knowing to, how to have a good command of your levels, knowing how to have a good command of the sound, your transitions, because especially with radio, you can be a one-man crew in a radio setting if you're good enough technically 
to be able to have command of your own broadcast. It goes back. Podcasting is the same thing too. So, um, you know, those are, those are things that I think, you know, make a good broadcast. Yeah. There are some times where people kind of struggle, but I also, I go back to the cliche for cliche phrase, Nick, it's like, you know what, if, if you think you're so good at it, go do it. You know, if, if yeah. you're a fan, otherwise, otherwise sit there and enjoy it. Now, are, are there, are there some people that I would prefer over others in terms of the broadcasting world? Yeah, absolutely. We all have our favorites and people that we love their delivery. But honestly, my mom always used to say this. And at first I thought I was like, I was like, shut up. This is super cheesy. But as I get older, I kind of agree with it. She says, you know what? She goes, not everybody's perfect, but she goes, sometimes I was just happy to have someone who was talking me through the game and letting me know what was going on. And someone was willing to do the work. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And, you know, going from high school all the way up to the NHL, obviously guys get paid as they get better at it, but you know, there is an appreciation to someone taking the time and putting together their production crew. Imagine what hockey would be if we didn't have production crews to bring you the game on TV every night. And then you had people back at sports who package up the replay and put it on YouTube 20 seconds after their thing happens. All of those things I think we take for granted sometimes and there's people behind every one of those actions. There are. And uh, I think you said it perfectly is, you know, there's so many, there's so many more people that you don't see on camera that make this happen. Um, in fact, you know, it, it going through, you know, just about how many different cameras are being operated, right. Uh, to the guy who's making sure the audio is good uh, to the director who is, you know, changing camera takes on the fly, the producer who's trying to tell the story, um, you know, it, to the in-studio, like you said, it's such, it's a coordinated ballet. It really is. And it's one of those where, you know, TV is never perfect. Uh, if there's one thing that I've, I've really learned over these past 12 months, especially uh, working with HP now in my third year in various different roles. And um, obviously here with uh, the podcast and different radio bits and whatnot is, you know, TV is about making something that's so imperfect look like it was meant to happen. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's I wish, you know, if there's any one thing that I know everybody can see, right? It's that little IFB. It's that little earpiece that every broadcaster wears. And then of course, if you're the play-by-play, -play, the big, um, you know, microphones, that's earmuffs. It's you're getting one person here. You're getting one person there. You're trying to think of what's happening and talk at the same time. It's a skill. Um, yes, because hard. again, you know, it's, it's one of those, oh, I could do that. But then you have, again, your producer in one year going, um, you know, next whistle card one, which, you know, for everybody, it's like, you know, to give you a good example, it's LaPanta going, let's pause for 15 seconds for a word from X sponsor. Right. Right. Um, and then your director is going, okay, after this break, we're going to have a rollout or as I say, video of the last two goals from the wild. So just make a comment on those, you know, as we go to break kind of thing. So you have people constantly feeding you information. You're having to organize it. You're going to have, you know, you have to prioritize it too. So even more so and stats, the, right? And, and then, um, and then it changes on you where you expect to go to break and then all of a sudden the scrum breaks out or, you know, and then it's all about timing. All that thing has to be in a specific timing piece and then and then it gets busted yeah and and then and then for intermissions you know your face might be on tv too during all of that like right it's it's and like i said that and that's the part that i was about to get to was that you could have all this play and all of a sudden like you mentioned something happens something crazy um and then all of a sudden all that's like oh we're 
scratch all that, you know, talk about this, talk about that great goal. Like I said, there's a, there's a, a line brawl between uh, Vancouver and, uh, and Calgary um, in the middle <laughs> of center race at Rogers center. So, you yeah. know, it, that's, that's the name of the game is you have to be willing to adjust on the fly, obviously having some stats and like, you know, being fed to you and having some tidbits and storylines. Again, when you, when you're talking to coaches a couple of days before the matchup and you're trying to get their thoughts and you're trying to incorporate the storyline into the broadcast, there's so many, as you mentioned, the little things, that go unnoticed because it's so fluid and you forget also the prep work it takes to get yes. to that, you know? So yes. a, you, your it, prep, your prep work is a, is a huge piece. Um, and that can really save you if you're unfamiliar with the team or you're unfamiliar with things. Hockey knowledge is a great thing too. And the other thing is repetitions. I remember the first game I ever did. I mean, I had a headache for like two days after because of the cerebral overload. And now of course, you know, I don't even, hardly I don't want to say I don't hardly prep but I have all my my notes and my stats in front of me and then I don't actually write out my um my pregame shows anymore like the things that I want to talk about I practice now do, being able to do it fluidly and being able to do it because now that makes me more comfortable that if you walk up to the booth and you say Noah can you jump on for five minutes and do this now I can do that fluidly and be able to do that without things in front of me obviously it's good to have those things but then as you get better and better and get more repetitions you learn how to do different things you do a podcast you do a radio broadcast you do a tv broadcast all of those different areas will make you so much better in, in those pieces too i thought it was interesting it's actually during the the wild game and uh, um the female commentator i failed to remember her name unfortunately but uh she had she was kind of getting amped up with the excitement of a goal that was just scored and she was actually peaking and for those who don't know what peaking is it's when you're uh it's when your uh your levels kind of like it, it gets scratchy it gets it's too high and you get that like static click yeah yeah static, kind of yeah um and she started to get that. And of course it just so happened that her point when she was talking was like a minute long. So I'm like, the producer's probably just sitting there going, Oh my God, like, please wrap up this point. But um, what I'm saying is as soon as she got done with that in my head, I'm like, well, her producers are going to say, move the mic away from your face. Cause they don't, I don't know if they have a board in front of them as the broadcast crew, but it's probably more production side of the NHL level. And I said, they're either going to tell her to turn her levels down or to, to pull the mic away from her face. And she's not going to sound scratchy. And the next thing she said, 10 seconds later was, much quieter and much calmer. And those are little things that you don't think about until they, they go wrong or they're not perfect. And then, then it sticks out like a sore thumb. So there is, a, there is a lot of talent and a lot of juggling that you have to be able to do. And, you know, you have, first of all, you have to be comfortable doing things live. You have to be comfortable on camera or on a microphone, being able to talk to people. Um, and then you get to a point where you don't think about it and you do become better and better each time. So, what we're trying to say, I think, on social media is, yeah, there are some broadcasts that, let's be real, even at that level, aren't the greatest. But at the same time, people are trying their best. And you know what? It's a lot harder than it looks. So I think that's an important piece to, to kind of remember. Nick, did you have anything else to add? Or should we uh, say sign out of the fans? Kind of a longer episode, an hour and 25 minutes, 24 minutes, something like that. So we are happy to have all of us with you. Uh, for those, yeah, I guess the only thing is, for those who are listening, um, my job search is officially open um at the yeah. end of it so uh last uh, semester starts on monday so two Ooh. days it's my last first day of school that's weird um <laughs> but you know as as i've mentioned to you many times off camera uh noah and as many times oh, as sorry no go I, ahead go i ahead. didn't mean to interrupt you i so nick's 35 in case we haven't touched on that already i totally had the billy madison vibes where <laughs> sitting in a classroom of second graders i'm so but, sorry <laughs> but but to that point you know it's i i used to put more stock actually to my age 
um, I used to actually think, um, you know, going into this, you know, when I went back to school at 30, I, I know what I'm getting myself into. I took a huge roll of the dice. I bet a lot of money and time on myself to do this. Um, and at the end of it, graduating is probably 5% of the goal. Then the 95 is, can you get a job in the field? So for those who are watching, uh, those who, uh, who, who like what I do, and, and I can definitely show you all the things that I can do, especially with different segments uh, on air broadcasting. My eventual goal is play by play in the NHL. Um, you know, if you if you know some folks who uh, want, would like to reach out, please uh, uh, go to huskieswarmingouts.com. Uh, you'll see all my contact information there. And uh, please, uh, you know, I'm definitely willing and ready to talk about what I can bring to a broadcast and uh, definitely expertise that I bring, especially from a National Hockey League level, being a former uh, TSN analyst. Uh, again, done plenty of games for uh, for the for the Huskies, both television and radio. I'm, I'm ready to go. So that's that's the next frontier. Can you juggle, though? Uh, it depends on what I'm juggling. Plates, yes, for sure. <laughs> Not plates. I'll break them. Well, kind of-ish. I mean, I feel like serving's ju a juggling act, kind of-ish, isn't it? I mean... Not really. If you're yeah. juggling, then the food is not on the plate at that point. So, <laughs> oh, well, it could be worse. It could be a pizza upside down on somebody. Um, that's, that, that's true. So. That's a fantastic story. If you haven't got a chance to check it out, episode 93 was a real, I thought that was a really good episode. A lot of the topics that we talked about. Of course, if you really want to go back hearing about Brett Larson, the Olympics, episode 92 happened just before the Christmas holiday. We got to sit down with Brett Larson and associate head coach Dave Shyak and listen to their kind of trivia battle and some of the things that they had going on there it was exciting to uh, touch on them as well but that will do it for episode number 94 i think episode 95 should be a regularly normal release on our normal sunday and we will see you soon here in the den one-timer coming they score ripped in a bomb from dana rasmussen fires and she scores Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.